All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Yo, yo, what up, y'all? This is Fonte giving you this week's classic episode of QLS. On this one, comedian, producer, and late-night host John Oliver talks about the craft of being funny, the challenges of political commentary and being timely about it, what he's thinking about when he brushes his teeth that was way too much information, and that time he pissed off a real-life war. I remember this episode. This shit was wild. This is episode 71 from February 14, 2018. Uh, this was fun times, man. Y'all check it out. QLS Classic, John Oliver, Fon Tigolo. Yes, sir. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. I don't believe in handouts. Yeah. Request bags or gimmies. Yeah. But I ask you, John Oliver. Yeah. Recuse yourself from the Emmys. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. My name is Fonte. Yeah. And I thought I was pimping. Yeah. Till I went to the church yeah. of perpetual exemption. Roll call. <laughs> Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema roll call. My name is Sugar. Yeah. And yeah, I'm Yiddish. Yeah. Could be worse. Yeah. I could be British. Suprema roll call. I'm unpaid bill. Yeah. QLS, we add it. Yeah. I'm Sister Act 2. Yeah. Back in the habit. Roll call. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Boss Bill is here. Yeah. And we're just clowning. Yeah. We don't give a what. Yeah. Like Janice from accounting. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Yeah. yeah, and I think we got him. Yeah, not Trump quite yet. 
Yeah. It's John Oliver Rim. Supremo Roll Call. Supremo Roll Call. My name is John. Yeah. To your good day. Yeah. You made this room smell like Chick fil A. Oh, I'm gonna take a bite of my sandwich right now. Suprema Chick fil A. Suprema Roll Call. Shout out to Chick fil A. Yeah, Boss Bill, since he mentioned food, can we eat while we talk? Homophobia never tasted so delicious. That's your best line ever. That should be their new tagline. <laughs> Chick-fil-A. Homophobia never, never tasted tasted so delicious. <laughs> Come hate eat with us. <laughs> you still have not given up Chick-fil-A? Hell no. <laughs> he lives in the I South. Haven't, wow. I haven't eaten it in a long time. But, I, I but, actually, you know, for health reasons, but I mean, not oh, for. Oh, you know. no, no, for morality. <laughs> no, no, I stood in no. solidarity. Wait, I stood in solidarity for like a year and a half. Yeah, and then Black Twitter told me that nah, we we still eating Chick Fil A. Yeah, yeah, we still. Look, look. the summertime when the frozen lemonade come out. Yeah, frozen yeah, the frozen lemonade. lemonade Black Twitter, the man. frozen lemonade and the uh, and they lemonade like just they um oh and their, and their peach their peach shakes. Oh yes, and the peach shake with the peach chunks in it. Yeah, it's seasonal. It only comes out it's in the seasonal. summertime. <laughs> yeah, you got to get on the you got to get on the melon list for that. Like you can get <laughs> wait, there's a Chick Fil A melon. Well, list? I mean, you get, they let you know like the new snacks is about to drop. <laughs> Hey, Shannon, what's the hotness for I'm waiting. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. You know, Yo, I'll let you know what I get. You, should, you get the email blast. Can you that to me when you get it? That'd be great. Just so I know. Because there's no Chick-fil-A. I mean, there's one here. Because New York City, and yes, I know I haven't introduced our guests yet, ladies and gentlemen. We got more important issues at hand. New York City, New York City only has, what, three Chick-fil-A's, right? Yes. The NYU campus and the one that's da- in Down Mitchell, the Manhattan. And then there's another one look, a few blocks So up. are there still lines around the block? Because when I used to no, go to no. the Tonight Show, they, they used to... It was like waiting for. I love that you're looking at Fonte because he's like the Chick Fil A ambassador. The crazy. Well, no, it's, it's Boss Bill. He the, no, he the, the lines aren't there. Crazy no more. rap. <laughs> Why? Okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Mid chew. I'm the one breaking the rules today. Uh, yeah, our guest today is uh, a hell of a comedian. Uh, Time Magazine has called him the comic agent of change. Uh, he's been in the game for uh, 20 plus years. Uh, he came to, of course, national attention as the British correspondent on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart mm-hmm. uh, in 2006. And uh, he hosted his own cult classic, uh, The Bugle Podcast, with uh, Andy Zaltman in 2007. Uh, he was also the professor of one of my all-time favorite comedies, uh, Community. Community. Yeah, with uh, Boss Bill's favorite. <laughs> Boss uh, Bill's favorite artist, <laughs> Donald Glover. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but, you know, he's now best known as the figure we turn to for uh, absolute sanity in this, mm. in this upside-down world that we live in. Um, his uh, last week tonight, uh, six Emmys. <clears throat> Count them. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six <laughs> Emmy winning. Last week tonight. Let's go Sesame Street on those Emmys. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, on HBO. Seven. Guys, award. I get the point. I'm never going to see an enemy in this lifetime. I get it. Uh, is uh, last <laughs> week tonight on HBO continues to uh, fight the powers that be with the most scathing commentary this yeah, side fight of 60 the minutes. That be. 
Yeah, man. He, he fights the power. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome the one and only John Oliver. Fight the power. Yes, yeah. sir. Fight the power. Fight the power, John Like a pasty Chuck D. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, well, I want I got to ask, how exhausting is it? <laughs> Well, wow. it is not a great sign when you, of anyone, are asking me. <laughs> your brain hurts more because than I feel it's, it's pretty bad. I'm not going to lie to you. It's uh, pretty uh, mentally, emotionally, and even physically exhausting, right? Because if you're tense all the time, you know, chess players say they burn a lot of calories, and you think that can't possibly be true, but apparently it's the nerves and the, te- and the concentration. So it's that. I feel like I'm in, uh, I'm in either really good shape or I'm about to die. Well, I just mean just in general, it's like, well, I know, I, I mean, obviously comedy has to be a love of yours or, or yeah, first love. It's my but it's almost yeah. like now that you're stuck with, here with us in America, you're almost, you're, you're our go-to. Like, is there pressure for you to in a clear and concise way to to filter the fears and the and the and the and the concerns that we don't have because we don't have the platform that you have that you I guess well that's well yeah I mean it's always it's pressure on pressure right it, it, with with any job you kind of want to put yourself under the maximum amount of pressure because you want to you feel like uh, you want to earn the position that you're in now particularly with HBO on a Sunday, when I'm about to put you to sleep like an unlicensed anaesthetist. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that comes with a lot of privilege, right? Because I get to say whatever I want about whatever I want. So I don't have to, I don't have commercial pressures. Uh, uh, we don't have advertisers. I can talk for a long time. There's no one's telling me what to do. So that is, uh, that is a, uh, I don't take that lightly. I'm, I get that I'm lucky to have the platform that I have, so I try and use that. So we take big swings, and, you know, <laughs> one of these days we'll take a swing too big and it'll all be over. But I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather go out swinging than bored. Absolutely. Uh, can I... Oh, go ahead. Is there anybody saying that there are any limitations on what you see? Like, I just, I just <laughs> meant, I meant the worst possible thing you could say, like, you know, just... Without backing I, it up, I don't know. Nobody if, say, you know no, saying, we got to back it up. We have lawyers, and HBO has lawyers, so we have to back up everything that we say. Otherwise, we're in serious shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, no, we, that's that's why we work so hard to make sure that everything has uh, a factual basis to it. Otherwise, it's over. So there is no list, though. Uh, this is there is no you know Carlin list or no. There shouldn't be though, because it's right. HBO. Right. So they shouldn't have that list. Or if they have that list, they shouldn't tell me about it. Yeah, I'm sure they have. Maybe they do have people saying we don't want him to talk about that. But that should never be communicated to me. <laughs> John, this might that's be a, deal. a crazy question, but have you ever faced resistance since you know you're speaking on U.S. And- world issues but you know from in your british i mean I'm, i've lived here for 11 years so this is my home mm-hmm. right i've got uh i've got an american wife and i have an american son i have an american it's a very imperial way to say i have a son sure? i have an american uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have i've i've made an american uh, i will make more uh so an army i don't i mean i i kind of i i slightly resent whenever people say you're not from here. That's a dangerous road to go down because I've been here for 11 years. It's my home. I, I, I have some skin in the game. 
So I kind of call bullshit on that idea. I'm here because I love it. Like after this show, I'll stay here. I've chosen this country as my home. Mm -hmm. So, and I've chosen it as my home now. So (laughs) this is falling in love with someone not at their best. (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking you at your worst. Right, right. That's true love right there. So you you were born in the UK, correct? Yeah. What part? I was born in Birmingham. My family are from Liverpool, and I was raised in Bedford, uh, just about an hour north of London. All right. So for those that aren't, because you know a lot of us just think UK. Oh, London. Yeah. Like, is there what's what's the main difference? Like, you know, for us, you know that New York is different from Tennessee or yes. you know Montana. I can, so, I, I can give you some parallels, right? Yes. Liverpool probably uh, you know once a strong industrial town. Uh, uh, the industry died of the shipping industry. Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh, maybe Detroit. Detroit. Big Detroit. music history. You've got Detroit. Birmingham. Birmingham would be your Pittsburgh. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. What was uh, the industry uh, in Birmingham? In what Birmingham, was it? It was. God, that was a good It was. Uh, I think it was like a lot of factory. I can't actually remember what it was. I was only there for six years. That was there for the first six years of my life. So. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what that... I can't think of what the exact one was. Okay. So, you... you and lit- Bedford is now north of London, so that would be Jersey. Okay. You're in I some bet. version of a large town in Jersey there. Yeah, I, I lived there for like maybe three years, so I only know... You were in London, right? London. Yeah, yeah I lived in uh, Kennish Town. Okay, I was south. I lived in uh, like around the Brixton, Tulse Hill, Crystal, Crystal Palace. Area. Whoa! Yeah. You lived in the hood. <laughs> Wait, why? What? A, what? Why? <laughs> Not why. I, I never. No, no. I just never heard white that people could say be the most racist thing you've I ever know. said. <laughs> like, <it's a> choice. <laughs> what? They're absolute animals down there. No, I'm just saying that. No, I know of no white person that's like, yo, I represent South London. Like. That would be yeah. like you tell me that you grew up 1530 Sedgwick Avenue in the Bronx, <laughs> like the home of hip hop. Um, I don't know. I think it's I, that's just where my friends were. So I like. It. Also, it was affordable. You know, okay. as a struggling comedian, you're probably going to go to some of the cheaper areas of London. So now I, I loved it down there, so I stayed. When did you? How, what was your interest in comedy? Because usually, with with is there a worship, like the worship that we have for, I, I guess, the go-to stuff? I mean, Benny Hill and Faulty Towers and... Wow. Monty right, Python. You've just, yeah. you just put <laughs> I know, bookends on British I comedy know, there. I know. But oh, I'm, boy. Yeah, you know, Vanilla Ice, Ice Cube. Yeah. <laughs> Those two guys that do the same thing. No, but it's, it's almost like the sign of higher intelligence in America is saying that you watch British comedy on PBS. Like, oh, I watch Faulty Towers. I watch Monty Python. And, I mean, all of us just have... We There's a worship in America for Benny Hill that's, like... Probably to you, that it's was, misplaced. like... Yeah, yeah that's like, a loving hip-hop, worship. but... Yeah, I mean, it, what, he was bigger, not for you guys. He was at all. bigger here than he was in Britain. Yeah, he was more like an embarrassing export than he was. Oh, wow. uh, oh I damn. think people in Britain might say the same about me. But uh, <laughs> Benny Hill. Yeah, but, uh, Benny Hill was not. He was not that popular in England. He was popular here because they showed titties on. Yeah, <laughs> they would. Yeah. They yeah. were, and that was the apex of comedy in uh, Mr. Hill's mind. He was. Yeah. Quite, uh, he died. He hills. died very rich in a small house. I think he was kind of surrounded by money that he hid everywhere. He was a strange man. His uh, his chasing of uh, topless women around in 
Nunn's outfits was not the weirdest side of his head. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he hoarded his money. Uh, yeah, he was, a, he was a weird guy. Yeah, but he showed titties on his shirt. <laughs> he did. No, that's what I remember. He did, kid. but that's you're not you're not bolstering his comedic credentials. <laughs> I'm okay. not saying he was funny. I'm saying he did show them tartars. <laughs> so for you, what was high level of British comedy that Americans might not have been up on? Well, when I was growing up, the most influential figure was uh, uh, Chris Morrison and Armando Inucci. Armando Inucci, who uh, produced uh, Alan Partridge, The Day to Day, On the Hour, which is a radio uh, show. Uh, he's uh, Veep is his show over here. That oh, would be okay. what Americans know him oh, from. Okay. More, he did uh, a, a Friday Night and Saturday Night Armistice. He was uh, he was kind of the north star of comedy for my generation. Armando Inucci. He was an amazing writer and producer. So, when did you decide that you wanted to get into comedy? Like, was it? Were you class clown and then acting? Yeah, and I then... was. Yeah, I could. I could talk shit. And uh, then, if you get, if you, if you think that it might be possible to talk shit professionally, you take that chance. But I did it at, at college. I met uh, a guy called Richard Iowardi, and we wrote a lot of uh, comedy together at college. And it was after doing a couple of <clears throat> like two man shows with him on our own that uh, I thought I'm probably. It was just such a rush. I thought I'm probably going to want to do this forever. Whether I'm good at it or whether that leads to a dignified life is very much, uh, you know, we'll see. But I knew I wanted to do it forever. So how, how did you feed yourself in the badly? <laughs> just not not with any kind of you know, nutritional <laughs> balance. Yeah, the first the first years of doing comedy are kind of rough but exhilarating because you're kind of learning to do something that you can't do yet. But there's nothing like a learning curve, right? There's nothing more exciting than a really steep learning curve. Was your family uh, supportive of this decision? They were actually. Did yeah. they want you to go to school and? No, I think they were. They were. They were. I was very lucky. They were pretty supportive of it. My uncle was a composer, so I think they had. Uh, they had a sense of <laughs> that someone could do something you couldn't even fathom for a career and make a decent life out of it. So I think he he ended up giving me a bit of a cover fire. So was it a matter of you wanting to match? Like growing up, who was your like for us in America, especially in the eighties, like Eddie Murphy was the apex of, you know, I mean, he was Michael Jackson of comedy because he reached right. white and black audiences, you know, at the same time. I mean, I, I guess Richard Pryor for more or less in the seventies, older, yeah, yeah. But for, like, I just don't, I, I don't know what if American comedy was looked down upon. I don't know how much Eddie Murphy's presence was over in the UK or in Europe for that much. Not as but, much, I guess, his movies work. In terms of, in comedy, Richard Pryor was, you know, still seen as this is the greatest stand-up who's probably ever done it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, there's no one's ever been as good as Richard Pryor. So there were box sets that you could kind of make your way through, and uh, I was pretty obsessed with him. It, it, in England, in terms of like voices you might not know, Peter Cook was the, this guy. He was uh, Dudley Moore's uh, performing partner for a while. Oh, and Peter Cook was about as funny as you can possibly get. He had funny, funny bones. And so he was a, a kind of a national icon. Do you still see comedy? Or now today, of course, with YouTube and the internet yeah. just sort of yeah. nationalizing everything, yeah. where a person can now go to furthest parts of the world and, right. and make a living. I, I never saw 
like to me it was a big deal when at least in the early aughts when Chris Rock's like, Yeah, I'm gonna go tour England. I'm yeah. like, Ooh, is that even possible? Or or even when Richard uh what's his name? Billy Crystal didn't he do uh he did like a month in Russia, I believe. Oh, that was um Billy Crystal Band did a sp- in the I remember I remember who you, oh man, who was that? I thought it was Billy Crystal. I feel like it might have been Robin Williams. Or Robin. It, it might have been Comic Relief. No, it, was, it wasn't Comic uh, Relief. Uh, no. It was an HBO special. I think. But just the point that it was, it was regional. Yeah. Like, were, how easy was it for at least... I can see uh, people from all parts of the world coming to America because it's a melting pot, or at least right. the idea of the melting pot. Um, but were, were American comedians ever, like... And yeah, because the, the economics of comedy in England is slightly easier. There's a lot of clubs. It's, it's relatively easy to make a living as a stand-up. There was, it is. Like, when I was there, there was like 90 clubs in, oh, wow. in London alone. Seriously? Right, now, now, sometimes that is just like an evening in the, in the roof of a pub, but you could still make money from that. The idea was that you would pay comedians. So uh, I think American comedians were pretty attracted to that. You could work every night, all the time. Also... Nothing's that far in England, so you you can one of the furthest gigs away and you can possibly drive to is probably going to be like six or seven hours. It was crazy to me when I first got here that you could fly for five hours in a plane and land in the same country. That scale <laughs> yeah. is bananas to yeah. me. So in England, you could drive back from most gigs if you were willing to drive back for a while. So it, the the margins were just economically the margins were easier, and you could work all the time. So you would find uh, Rich Hall, like he he moved to England. He spent most of his time in London because he realised he could make a career from live comedy much much easier in England than he could in uh, in America. So well, you just put me on the game because I thought it was the opposite. I thought like, oh, I have to leave. You have to leave the UK to to make it. Not I, really. I not really. That. It's it's uh it's easier. Like the 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 kind of uh, the grassroots of comedy. It's much easier to survive. It was uh, in coming here that I realised how difficult it was. As I started like talking to opening acts when I first started touring the country, just doing comedy clubs. You think, holy shit, it is hard to make a career here. Did really you, difficult. Did you cut your teeth in the American circuit, in the, or did you come here at, like as John Oliver and finally make it? Like, what? did you have to do the? There's something that Neil Brennan always jokes about with, uh, like, uh, comedy condominiums, where he's oh, like, "That's the worst bed." I, ever I skipped that. <laughs> I skipped that. I got lucky, right? Because I, I, I didn't have to do any of that. So uh, I, I got to go straight to headlining clubs, bad clubs. Not with without a full contingent of people in them, uh, and not necessarily people that were enjoying what was coming out of my face. But those were the only dues that I played. The comedy condos, I didn't have to. Uh, I didn't. Have do you, to you know about the legend of comedy condos? Nah, was it? I mean, it's, it's the chilling circuit places. for comics. Okay, where uh, maybe if you own a comedy club. Instead of wasting money on hotels and, yeah. and stuff, okay. you own a condominium. Or maybe there's, if you own a comedy club, maybe like the second or the third floor of the building that you're in, you'll just transform it into a condominium. Okay. But th- the whole point is that, you know, night after night after night, four new strangers are in yeah. that apartment. And so it's almost like the, a hostel kind of. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, think, think about how well... Would, Comedians take care of themselves. <laughs> then think about Put how well they room. take care of an apartment they don't own. <laughs> Crashing kind of like revealed all yeah. this truth. So all yeah. the Jack yeah. Daniels yeah. on the board, all the sheets. 
nasty and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's grim. Those those wolves have have seen things. Shit. So it wasn't long. So how long in between you doing that and then the Ricky like Ricky Gervais is like the reason that you're. Well, no, I'd already, so uh, I, Ricky Gervais had recommended me to The Daily Show, and so I, I moved, I'd not been to America before I got The Daily Show job. So, so hence, I got to skip key, key steps, key dues paying steps. Skip the headline big clubs. Line, and headline clubs. Yeah. Again, not well and not full, but at least I was, it was clear that I was making a living. It was only at that point that I realized, wow, to make this jump is hard. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic. So slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Did you notice that certain of your peers would feel a certain way that you didn't have to stand in that line? Like a guy like, okay, now I'm going to start mentioning. A guy like Louis. Mm-hmm. Okay. At the Comedy Cellar, he's so revered and so loved because it's like, hey, one of us. Like, right, one of us that lived in this hellhole called the Comedy Cellar, finally got out and, you know, made it and took us along with it. You know, but then I'll see a figure in comedy that, you know, might have went from the fourth grade to high school, and they'll they'll feel a certain way about, you know, their ele- were you treated different or? No, no, because, I th- you know, I just paid my dues elsewhere. So... Uh, yeah, you're I, an exchange I, student. I, I, yeah, exactly. I went, through, <laughs> I went through my version of shit. It's just uh, a version of shit that it wasn't in America. So that's the uh, the griminess was me like getting night buses back from Birmingham, <laughs> having died on my ass in the back of a pub. So uh, yeah, I definitely feel like I I ju- I jumped the line here for sure. But 
I had my fair share of failure in England. <laughs> well, okay, because we mostly have music guests on the show, and yeah. you know, once in a while we'll have a comedian and whatnot. But I've always been curious because um, I feel that comedy is is one of the hardest forms of entertainment because you can't. It's, it's, it's absolute. Not like with with it's, me, with me, I could do the same set. I mean, yeah, the audience might get bored, but I can do the same song. They expect the same song. Yeah. Whereas you can't do, you have to constantly. No, although there was that great Richard Pryor uh, bit where he talks about uh, people mouthing along to, yeah. uh, to to bits that he was doing and then getting mad if he changed it at all. He could right. just even say, motherfucker, wow. you didn't say that on the album. Right, right, right. <laughs> but that is rare because he, his stand-up was so great, it was like music, right? You literally, I, I would listen to those albums like I would listen to a music album and look forward to something that was coming. So you would, your brain would be saying, oh, I can't wait until he says this bit the way, the perfect way that he says, the way his voice sounds when he says it. That is not the case with comedy generally, where it's like chewing gum. What's, so what's the general rhythm? Uh, and to take us back to your early comic, like what's your general rhythm of, of preparation, of seeing of a, testing a joke to see if it works? How long do you let it stand in your repertoire before? Well, I guess like it, it, when you're first starting off, the key steps you're going through, I don't know if this is the same as for music, right? First, you're just learning how not to humiliate yourself because the reaction to comedy <laughs> is pretty binary, uh, unlike with music. Like it, they're either laughing or they're not. So there's no, you can't really, you can't pretend things are going better than they are. So you, you get a pretty good sense from an audience about whether you've done the job that you were supposed to be doing or not by the sounds coming out of their mouths. So uh, at, you know, the first phase is, can I do this? Can I basically do this? Can I, do I have the mechanics in me to make somebody laugh? Once you've got that, then you've got to decide, well, what do I actually want to do with this? <laughs> like, what, how, what, if, if I can practically make people laugh, then what do I want to make them laugh about? Right? What, what do you, what's your voice, what's your comedic voice really going to be? That's the thing that takes a while, but that's the thing that's really satisfying. So it, was your voice always the same voice or did it evolve? It changed, right? Because first you just, it's like survival mode. You'll just say anything you can to make the audience laugh because what, what you're frightened of is the sound of your own footsteps as you leave the stage. Yeah. <laughs> what was your first like, yeah, I got them. Like, do you remember like you? you well, it was like, two, like, like in, in the first gig, like, yeah. That I ever did, where just literally making people laugh for the first time from something that came in your head. That's a moment of going, oh shit, I got them. I just made that noise myself. But the much more satisfying thing is when you first do it with a degree of difficulty. When you first realize that you're talking about something that you want to talk about that they might not want to hear about, but you're making them laugh anyway. Mm. That's that is when it gets more exciting. So taboo elements? Yeah, or just or, or like it feels like again, if you're in the back room of a pub. And people are exhausted because they've been working all week and you want to talk about something that they might not want to hear about, then it's, there is a degree of difficulty on that dive. It's like the Olympic dive, right? You're, taking, <laughs> you're not just doing the straight, oh, I'll make fun of things that I know you're going to find funny and I'll enter the water and you'll throw up numbers. This is like I'm deliberately making this hard for myself because I want to make you laugh at something that I, you wouldn't ordinarily you wouldn't do. Laugh at, yeah. Yeah. So do you, ever, do you ever find yourself with the challenge of... Uh, serving your audience versus serving your eight comedic peers that might be at the back of the bar watching you? Sure. Like, like, what prevents you from doing your version of the aristocrats just to make those eight guys laugh that you yeah. know the joke's going to go over the audience's head? Yeah. And- 
I mean, look, ideally, like if you get the if you get the alchemy of it right, you're going to find a way to play to your version of the back of the room, but being more inclusive in it. So that to, because what comedians will generally laugh at is something that you know that might might be more difficult, or that an audience might miss. Or they'll just laugh at you. Like there was a gig, there was a gig in uh, Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Festival, which is amazing. Every uh, every August, uh, whole, basically everyone in comedy goes up to Edinburgh, and it was called Late and Live. It started at one in the morning, and it was a bear pit, a rough, rough room. So they would, uh, uh, when that audience turned on you, you they would tear or tear comedians apart. And so there was a bar downstairs with a feed of what was going on. And you knew you were in trouble if you started seeing comedians like walk in at the back because they were there to watch you die. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, how do you deal with hecklers? And because and, you don't seem like the kind, I'm not trying to judge you, but you don't seem like the dude would be like, motherfucker, I'll come down and beat you. Like, you ever see the clip of the guy that like, has dude, the guitar dude. in his hand and he just bashes. Oh, and bashes over the guy's head. I Man, love that clip so much. <laughs> that, is, that is exactly how I behave. Motherfucker, I'm going to smash your face. <laughs> Hold on, let me go get my guitar. <laughs> you stay here. Uh, no, I mean, I don't, you know, I generally, when I do gigs now, it's generally theaters of people who've come to see me. So heckling well, is within a certain range, right? So people will shout stuff out, but it's, uh, I love you. Yeah, that's there's not play Freebird. There's not much you can do. Play Freebird is a heckle that is transcends yeah. industry. No, it goes yeah. everything. Yeah, <laughs> someone did that to us once at a root show, and, and y'all played. Kirk Freebird? actually did it <laughs> in a mind. Oh, oh, mind yeah, careful what you wish for. They knew that shit. Yeah, but I, well. I, I mean, do you like prepare like it ahead no. of time? Like, okay, I got this one for this guy. And this no, because again, there's probably two ways to do that. At the start, you know, there's a there's a bunch of lines that like hack lines that you can use to shut people down. And when you're starting off doing comedy, you might just want to contain that situation, right? Because it's just about trying to avoid bullets. Whereas now, it's the, sometimes it's more fun, like to be if you're a bit more present in a room to try and. Uh, engage with what someone is trying to say again i the people the things that get shouted at me are generally a little more constructive but also i'm slightly fascinated with the idea of someone who would heckle i would never heckle i don't have the balls to heckle and i know that sounds perverse from someone who is standing on stage right now you just don't go people. against somebody with a microphone like that's well, that's that, that is, that, that's true that's but, my thing i'm like all, dude also i just wouldn't want that kind of that's a lot of responsibility to shout out so you're saying that even in in your world that you're in now uh, a call out from the audience or a disruption of your narrative is a yes. I know in, in, in uh, what do you call it, in uh, improv comedy, everything yeah. is a yes, and you just go with whatever. Yeah, I, I'm easily distracted when I'm doing stand-up. So, like, if someone <laughs> shouts out, normally I'm going to, well, what's this guy's deal? Wow, <laughs> what's he shouting at? And if he's angry, this can't just be about me. It's clearly there are some other things happening in his life. That I'm becoming a lightning rod for his frustration, and hopefully by then the security will eighty six him. Yeah, although yeah, I don't get that. T- I don't. Know, I, I maybe I don't attract rough enough crowds. Yeah, I was gonna say at this point, you know, the the Trump stragglers, they're not like coming to your show. No, That's actually- although although I did do. Have you ever done that? What was the, the Oddball Festival? That I did uh, Jones Beach. It's 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 pretty bad. It's just a bunch of comedians doing outdoor 
gigs and I've never done that before it's an awful place to do comedy and outdoor because it's, it's, there's too many people a comedy generally doesn't work to that many beer. people and especially outdoor so it, you, it's you can risk playing to the lowest common denominators to kind of unite people that aren't there to see you so I did Jones Beach and there was definitely some Trump supporters there and I walked about was half it? that audience that's 8,000 people I walked 4,000 people shit wow. yeah really yeah so what did that feel like on today? Like, what did, how did that it's come kind of ama- It's kind of an amazing feeling because it's a very stupid situation, yeah. right? You realize they're all going. And you could see, because it's outdoor, you could see the car park. You could see cars leaving. I could see the taillights <laughs> leaving in the distance. <laughs> so it's a pretty clear sense of this gig is not going very well. But it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Damn, now I want to know who they came to see. <laughs> yeah, so someone before me, I think. Is where you are now in your life. Mm-hmm. Is it more important to search for the truth or the funny? Like, Both. are you still about like, where's the funny? Or is it just like, it's, I have to tell the truth and the both. truth is just funny. It's yeah. both. Like you should, you should, uh, because, uh, you know, the truth on its own, you're literally not a comedian then. I don't know what you are. Are you a poet? I don't know. Like that, That's not comedy. You have to. Well, do you still consider yourself a comedian? Yeah, that's the only thing I consider myself. Still, what you? It's, it's <laughs> odd. It's odd. I got like, news for you. <laughs> right, you, you transcended. Yeah. Social yeah. I consider you like a real reporter. Yeah. No, no, or no. At least a social but commentator. It's odd because sometimes that, that question gets phrased by some journalists as a compliment, I think, or as, a, as mm-hmm. what they perceive to be a compliment, saying, "Do you see yourself as just a comedian?" And there's a there's a slight offense I take to that with not just a comedian that's my fa- I hold that to a very high level that's my favorite thing in the world to be yeah. it's all I ever wanted to be it's but not I think, being just a comedian but I think comedy is you know before really before 2007 or okay well actually start with Bush so let's let's say the the, the Clinton era let's let's say 1999 I mean comedy I figure it was more of a thing that we went to escape and just laugh and laugh and laugh and then get back to life. Whereas, like, now, you know, I can't wait to see SNL's Weekend Update. And I can't wait to see what Seth has to say. And I can't see your show and Daily Show and, and Trevor. I think it depends on what you want it for, though. Like, it's still, this this, this comedy is escapism is still there. There's still great absurdist comedy. There's still just fun stand-up around. Jim Gaffigan is still, yeah, yeah. he's as funny as I he's always Gaffigan. been. Yeah, You don't go to him necessarily to have him... Like explain the world to you, just go for like the Food. release of like like guttural laughs, right? Um, so that still exists. I think it's like it. The, comedy stays the same, right? It's just the world changes sometimes, so that people are are wanting different things from it. But the, the sense of escapism will always be there. Even I think there is a sense of escapism even in the kind of things that my show does, where you know, even though you're trying to frame complicated subjects sometimes for people in a way that they will learn something and laugh with it, you're also trying to get to a sense of catharsis. Hmm. So, like, if you're unpacking the world, you're trying to have it be a cathartic experience. If they're feeling terrible about something they've just watched, laughing at it can be cathartic in a way. So there is a sense of escapism even without actually escaping. But do you let people's perception of the show influence the stand-up? Because I wonder, like, do you feel the pressure when you do your stand-up to be keep it political, keep it... Not really, because that's the beauty of stand-up is you can talk about whatever you want. You're completely accountable to yourself, so it doesn't... You, you have total control. I don't know if you found, like, like, like with a DJ set, you can do whatever you want. 
right? You're making your own decisions and you live or die by it's, those. It's harder by the, as the years go by, my resistance to hold them hostage and see me as the curator and the leader versus I really need their love and adoration and approval, so I'm going to play this Migos song. By the year, it, it, it becomes more um, of a slow compromise where... And that's my fear. Like I don't want to be the the, the old guy that yeah that just needs adoration and approval. So I'm gonna you know what you gonna do? But yeah, every every day I'm on like you know blogs that I shouldn't be on looking for. <laughs> that sounds really healthy. Look, <laughs> it's always it's always gonna be a balance, right? Isn't it between what you what you think what the audience has come for and what you want them to have come for. Right, you you you're gonna there's gonna have to be a blend there. Well, yeah, but it's it's so hard now because I think the way that life is now, everything is about it's 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 more gray matter as opposed to black versus white. Like I used to think, you know, stuff that was effective versus things that I personally like, mm-hmm. and I just happen to personally like things that aren't, you know, necessarily that popular, but. I'm also wise enough as a businessman to know that I have to serve my audience. So it's always, again, like, am I playing to the back of the room to the comedians that are watching me or am I playing to the audience that I, you know, I don't know what, like, I don't know if you, I'm not saying if you value the intelligence of the audience that you're seeing. I would think that you think that if they're seeing you that, it's, that's that's what's a little easier, right? Because I guess when you start stand-up, what you're doing is inf- basically inflicting yourself upon an audience that didn't ask for you, right? So th- if there's like five different comedians on, there's absolutely no reason to expect that they're going to be on the same page as you, especially if you're taking like low percentage shots. Like <laughs> you're thinking, this is, uh, this is something I really want to talk about. You're probably not going to want to hear about this. So there, there's going to be an element of friction there. Now, when you start to find your audience, like the, the benefit to doing that, like the, the upside of it is that if you can just start growing your own audience and squeezing out the people that are just not going to like it anyway, then the lower percentage shots become high percentage. This is brilliant. <laughs> where, do you, where do you work out of? Because I'm in the club circuit a lot and I never I rarely see you I in. used to I used to bounce up all the time but now I've got a TV show and a family that's what I'm saying and it's harder right it is like are you are you watching the the is it a Viking funeral slowly watching the boat of comedy that's, <laughs> you know, sail away into your new life as burn the that, ships that's that's the thing because it's uh, like it's addictive it's the thing I love most in the world right it's and there is a there is a slightly there can be a debilitating side to it as a lifestyle, especially live comedy. So it's like you know it's it's like if you if you liked heroin, and you thought, oh, wow. well, this is really great. I'm going to devote my life to this and be a really tremendous committed heroin addict. But I want to have a family. Oh, am I going to watch heroin disappear in the distance? This may not be the perfect analogy. Right. <laughs> 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 comedy brings happiness. <laughs> But, but the, the, I, I get miserable if I haven't done stand-up for that long. So I try and do it as often as I can. Even Jon Stewart, while he was running The Daily Show, was trying to get up. Right? He was trying to get up. Every few months he would do 
a gig somewhere, not because he needed to, but because he, he had to. Yeah. to. Yeah. He had to do it. And you but know, don't you need to? You, uh, what you mean? Do you need to just to stay in shape? Yeah, you yes. got to go to the gym, right? Yes, you do. Because after you know the first gig back after a while is not good. Like I, I did some gigs over um, over New Year, and the first one I did up in Connecticut, I remember walking off stage going, "Oh shit." <laughs> That's, and was it the crowd? They weren't responsible. No, they it was were, just you. No, they were really. But you know, that's the problem, right? Because when you get to a, they, this were is they a, honest with you. No, this is a luxury problem, but it's a real problem, right? Because if you you can get bad at stand up real quick when you get successful, you can fail upwards. Yeah, because yeah. you just you you there is so much goodwill. You're on fumes from that audience, and you can kind of cycle downhill. And so yeah, they were a really nice audience. I think they had a really nice time. I wasn't good. I don't think they noticed that, but, <laughs> but you it's smell very, bullshit. very important that I notice it. Yeah. How can you tell you weren't good? Like what? Because you're not like it doesn't feel right. You're not thinking fast enough. Like you're just a little bit off. Right. It's like like when the athletes come back and they go and you like if you didn't know anything about it, you go oh he played pretty well and they say. <laughs> and, off the uh, there was half a step. Yeah. Or yeah. like in football, like in English football, when they're. Uh, when they'll just say he's just a half a step behind, this isn't quite right, and it feels the same way. The problem is if you if you let uh, if you let an audience enjoying you be that your sole barometer, you can get bad. That's where you see comedians get successful and then get not very funny quick. So how do you know when you're good? Because if they're laughing regardless, I guess it's like an internal. You've got to have that internal sense of what your own your own sense of quality control so that you can walk out of a, a gig that's gone really well and think I was bullshit there or work out of, walk out of a gig that's gone badly for them and thinking, eh, they might be a little bit wrong. Do you, do you have a Neil Brennan or a Chris Rock in your life? Neil Brennan and Chris Rock are like the comedians go to disapproving dads. Yeah. Like I've never seen, and I'm talking about top shelf established comedians. We'll always want those two to come to the show yeah. and like borderline abuse them. Yeah. <laughs> for yeah. anything. I mean, this is Chappelle's humor. Like they sure. they need their two cents just to Yeah, you just want to have like, someone do roll you your have eyes at you. Those people in, in your 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 crew that Definitely. Like for the uh for the the show that I write. Uh, for HBO that that's uh, all of us work together and then uh, Tim Carvel and I who run the show he kind of he, he's very good at being uh, a, a kind of a comedic conscience to kind of yeah that might be a little cheap you know you, I don't know if you need to say that for stand up it really helps to have to have friends that you respect who you can tell might roll their eyes at a joke that just like did really well in the audience going, ooh, man, that's some low-hanging fruit you just feasted on. Uh, <laughs> in my mind, is there like a, a group, a supportive group text between you? Because you, <laughs> Bill Maher, well, not really, I say Bill, but he's a single man, so it's a little different in that way. But Bill Maher, John Stewart, Steve Colbert, just being comedians, the TV show, family men, like do you guys help each other through these journeys? It's a kind. It's a particular like the TV show thing. It's yeah. a very particular uh, job, and yeah. it, like demands a certain Impression. amount of thing. Yeah, so you kind of end up having more in common with people that you might not have a lot in common with otherwise. Yeah, like they're like John Stewart was a hugely uh, important person, obviously in my life, 
and you know Colbert I look up to very much. They're not entirely peers. So I, I mean, I, I text with Seth Meyers a lot because we did our shows around the same. He was working for SNL when I was uh, working at um, the Daily Show, and then we we got our own shows at similar Y'all kind like of times. The juniors. We weirdly got married at oh, similar times, wow. had kids at similar times. So yeah, there's. Uh, I think we feel like we probably have a fair sense of what each of us going through, even if we don't know what each other's doing that day. Is there a difference between stand-up funny and TV show funny? Very different. Yeah. Okay. What's what's the difference? I guess it's. Like, are there jokes that you have and it's like, okay, this would kill in the club, but on the show? Yeah, yeah that's, so yeah, kind of. I mean, it's, it, I guess it's the way that you would write. For me in particular, like, our, our show is pretty tight. So uh, there's not room to make jokes breathe necessarily. And also, uh, especially for those big stories that we do, the jokes are always in service to a very focused story. Okay. Um, whereas stand-up can be more erratic because you've got like an hour and a half to talk about whatever you want and at whatever pace you want. What do you think it is about uh, foreign, I'd use that term loosely, <laughs> foreign comedians, um, like particularly you and another one of my favorite comedians, um, Jim Jeffries. Yeah. Like you guys have the most biting <laughs> commentary about, you know, the United States and the shit makes so much sense. Is it just, I guess, maybe kind of being an outsider and looking Definitely. at like, what the fuck is going on? Well, for, like, for comedians, generally work better as outsiders anyway. They don't, com most comedians that you love don't function particularly well in society. These aren't people, <laughs> these aren't people I can find it easy just being alive in yeah. regular situations. They weren't voted most well adjusted no, in exactly. high school. So, <laughs> so, like, having a sense of being an, an outsider in life generally is a boon. As a could be as an aspiring comedian, like if you're literally not from here, if you're literally from outside the country, there's you you already have a different eye on things. Yeah. Now, for me, it's like it's a blend again because I I came here as a full-on outsider. So it, it when I was first here, it was it was definitely a sense of what the fuck are you doing? This is all crazy. Mm -hmm. Now it has shifted a little bit. Right now it's what are we doing? It's not you anymore. It's yeah. we because this is my home. So uh, I, there is still a, a sense of uh, a, a being an outsider, but it's honestly less than it was, right? I'm an, I've got an immigrant's crush on this country. I love it here. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, not, it, it's not the same thing as saying this place is ridiculous and laughing at it uh, from a distance this is laughing at it from inside. What was the most ridiculous thing, like coming when you came here 11 years ago, what was the most thing that you saw when you first got here and was like, what the fuck? Like, what was the biggest culture shock? Uh, I went to a Walmart for the first time. <laughs> I couldn't oh, believe how big it, Walmart. Oh, Walmart. Oh, Walmart. Yeah, yeah. Walmart. Okay. Wow. Walmart. I couldn't believe that <laughs> reference to <laughs> I thought they were famous here. <laughs> Yo, I thought you said Walmart. I was I like, like they don't speak English, though. He's from Carolina. So that's yeah, no, I, no, no, I, I thought he said Walmart. I was like, well, is this a new white supremacist store? It, uh, uh, <laughs> don't, Walmart. Not necessarily. Not everything is a new white supremacist store. <laughs> More than it used to be, to be More honest. Um, well, that's the, yeah, Walmart. Walmart. There, are, there are still certain words as in the English accent that slide by American ears. It's, the, it's, an, odd, it's an odd thing. Like, even with, um, uh, like... Uh, automated phone lines. Sometimes I have to adopt an American yes, accent yes, to make myself uh, understood. Yes. So yeah, maybe Walmart is one of them. Walmart. Okay. <laughs> I went to a, I went to a Walmart. You got it. There you go. Yeah. That's there it go. right there. there, there. It was just so, like it was so big. It was just so big, 
And I remember the socks were so cheap. <laughs> I'd never seen socks that cheap. And I was amazed and then immediately felt, ah, there's a problem here. <laughs> it can't be that cheap without people getting hurt. You don't, you don't know the joy of life until you've been into a 24-hour Walmart super like Walmart. 3 in the morning. Yeah, super No, that was it. That's my it, dream. Because it, it was after a show that I'd done somewhere. Yes! So it was out of town. It's I thought, I, I, can, I, can, I can buy any of this? Yes. <laughs> right. it and was, your groceries. Um, it was my blowing yeah like for, all that choice for all groups. that but all the bargains built on such human suffering yeah <laughs> it's the american dream it is it's the american and way. you can buy a gun depending on what state you're in yeah yeah at three in the morning yeah. right. no questions asked all right y'all you know what season it is tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel and if you're like me you're already in your airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. So... Can you explain, I mean, besides your actual name being in the title, mm-hmm. um, what, were, what were the general differences between working on the, 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 the Daily Show with Jon Stewart and uh, doing your own show? Well, I guess it's a, like, cosmetically it might look similar. Like, again, the mechanics of it, it's very, very different. Uh, so... I, I knew how to work within that machine, especially because like when John left for that summer, I kind of step, stepped into his shoes for a Shit, few months. that's right. You yeah. Have you. So yeah, I, I, I forgot. I did, <laughs> a, I did a version of his job uh, less well for three months. So I, I kind of ran-ish that mm-hmm. show. I ran it a little bit for that, for that few months. Why were you chosen? Why was I chosen? And was it awkward for you to accept it? No. Yeah. Uh, it was terrifying because he called me and said, 
I, I got a, I, that movie I've been working on, I'm going to direct it. So I was kind of, oh, that's nice. This, this feels like something that I didn't see what was coming. Right. So that's an odd thing to decide to call me. How many people are you calling today? <laughs> and then he said, so I'm going to be gone for a few months. Um, uh, will you host the show? So I just said, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. And then hung up the phone. And went, it wasn't oh, like, oh, <laughs> shit. Right. So I just said yes, because I would just I would say yes to anything he ever asked me but then I did not think about what I just said yes to until I put the phone down so then I, I went to his office the next morning and said hey do you, well, do you really want to do this are you sure about this he went yeah you'll be fine uh, I thought no, no no might go with Samantha or you know I mean but was it is it awkward being I was chosen uh, no because we, we were doing slightly different jobs again than it might have looked like I was writing on the show as well so I was more embedded in every single part of that show than the other correspondents were so I was okay. there every minute of every day so it was a it was a much easier transition for me than it would have been uh for a correspondent uh one of the other correspondents to do it they would have all been able to do it it was just it was easier for me I'm glad you said that because Having visited The Daily Show a couple times, um, that's one of the most exhausting things I've ever witnessed. Yeah. What is, I mean, what's the process like for research? Like, because someone has to sit and watch everything. Fox yeah, News yeah, right. for four hours a so day I, just to get that one sound How bite. many someone? So I can't yeah. speak to that show anymore because the show that I work for literally doesn't exist. Anymore. I worked for John, so I don't know what Trevor's done to change that process. I know well, a no, process no, no. I mean, that when you were there, anymore. when you were there, when then, I was there, when like, I was there, there was. Um, did interns have to sit and watch that? Not mm. so much interns. It was there was a whole. By that point, there was a whole footage department that were looking at clips and that were presenting clips to the writers' room early in the morning. And so you were kind of what those they had curated clips that were interesting already. Uh, and so we were watching those together and everyone was coming up with ideas and then assignments would go out and then you would have like one hour, maybe an hour, 15 minutes to write your first draft. There, there wasn't much margin for error in that day, right? You miss a deadline at 10.15 in the morning or at 11 o'clock or at 11.30, you're in serious shit at six o'clock. It was tight, that process. I don't know if that is, if they make it exactly the same way now, but we, it, the way it was under John was, that was a tight process. So the way that, I mean, things were just as crazy with, with the Obama administration, with the, mm -hmm. um, I'm about to say Bush, uh, the Trump administration. So what if something were to happen at mm, 2.05 p.m. and you still got that four-hour window before the show starts? And you know it's going to be newsworthy. Is it just uh, like... You can do a little bit, but you know, you've got four hours before the show starts, but there's a lot of production that needs to happen to make graphics, yeah. cut the sorts. So that four hours gets dissipated down real quick. So the rules so, just... So you can, make, you can make changes to a certain extent. Again, this is how it used to be. I, I don't know. Like if, you, if you're going to be on time... For, or more or less on time for when you start taping the show, you know that there is a certain amount of changes that you have budgeted in your time and in everyone else's time that you can make because it's all cogs in a machine, right? And you can screw someone asking for something that they can't do in four cogs time. So something, uh, say if The Daily Show were now and say that mm, Trump fires Mueller in, at 4 p.m. and you already had your, sh your show set, are you guys just like, okay... We'll deal with that on tomorrow's show. I mean, that's, just... Again, I don't know now, but then the, the practice then was uh, that we would say something for two, three minutes at the start, and then John was able to talk about it tomorrow. Now, oh, okay. 
the I, I think it's changed a little bit now because the pace has increased so much mm-hmm. uh, that people want stuff quicker. So we were making that show before Twitter. So like, there's there's a window <laughs> which right. you haven't before seen Twitter. all the jokes on it. Right. Like, it was interesting watching the State of the Union last night. They're going live. So that finishes, uh, I guess he finished like pontificating at like 10.30. So they're like, Daily Show's on it. Trevor's on at 11. Right. Steve's on at 11.35. You have not got much time to digest that. And also, you're still late in a way because there's a bunch of jokes that have gone round while he was still talking. So it's it's difficult. The pace of things have changed to the point that uh, I, I think the the process that I was involved in under John Stewart is uh, slightly more arcane than you would imagine. Do you think your job would be easier? Uh, if Hillary had won, or if we had someone else in no, office, it's the same. It's yeah. the same. The, the, the pace of things, it's it's difficult in a different way. Okay. So fast forward to last week tonight. Now you have a plethora of information. Uh, yeah. Uh, the pace is moving faster, and you have to decide how, what you can put in this show so in the week. F- so for us now, those decisions are different because those big stories that we do. So, so basically, from like after the first ten minutes, what can sometimes be like twenty two. 25, sometimes over 30 minute stories, those things don't shift because those have been, we've been working on those for weeks and though, and there is, they've been, you know, they've been legally checked. Often they're irrelevant to the week as well. Like this, it's just, when I start talking about it, it's not like, oh yeah, I knew you were going to talk about you know, diabetes medication. No, it's dope. You're usually just making us aware of something that we haven't thought about or something. Yeah. yeah. So the, but the start of the show changes. Right, so the, the the kind of decision process that we go through in our heads are like if if something crazy is happening on a Monday or a Tuesday, we're not gonna let's all those bones are gonna be picked pretty clean of meat by all the different shows and the concept of jokes on Twitter. There's nothing really much that we can add to that. If something happens at four o'clock, five o'clock on a Thursday, that starts to change because then. You know, at that point, Stephen, Seth, Samantha's off. They can't, there's there's no, that all falls to us. So from that point on, like Thursday, five o'clock, any shit that goes down is shit that we need to eat and process. So for you, you hope that Thursday morning is just a sweet spot for you to get the goods early. It's, is it even important to get the goods early? No. Yeah, because you're the king of the mountain. And it's Bill Mark. <laughs> Is Bill Maher Six a factor in that way? King of Just- count him. <laughs> count him. Oh, that's right. One. Bill Maher don't have count six. He does. Damn. So the next question I was going to ask doesn't mean anything. Because I was going to say, does Bill Maher even a factor? Because he's live on Friday. No, it doesn't really make We do We do different things. Yeah. It, it really doesn't make any difference at all. So, okay. Uh, another good reason why I'm glad you're here mm-hmm. is because of the time that we live in now. Especially with the uh, the onslaught of the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. is uh, for some shows, one of them I won't name. Uh, <laughs> you know, th- there's there's like a, a checklist, like oh, this guest can't come up on the show, this guest can't come on the show, this Ooh. guest. You know, it's just like it's going to be awkward. Um, and even for this particular show, there's about three or four guests that we were set to have on the show that now it's going to be kind of awkward because wow. I don't know if I'm, you know, at least, I mean, this this show is under two years old, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not at the fully confrontational point of like, okay, 
pointing out white elephants that easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, how hard was it? What was going through your mind the morning that you had to interview uh, Dustin Hoffman? So, well, yeah, like my show, I, I don't, those, I, I haven't really thought about that, right, I guess, is because we don't have guests. Right. So that's actually not something that I've ever had to go through. So, we, And the only reason I bring that up is it was, uh, that's what made that a different experience. Right. So, um, they like they. Like, did you try to get out of it? Like, uh, well, I I, I in in a sense, I did. In I offered them a chance for me not to do it because they they they'd uh, they'd asked me to do it months before. I don't do many of those things. Right. I don't think I'm going to be doing many of them. <laughs> 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 uh, but so they said, oh, here's the, the, you want to do this uh, like the dog screening. I said fine. Uh, then they said, uh, oh, Dustin Hoffman might be there. So I said to them, oh, okay, if that's true you might need to get someone else because I would need to ask him about something. So that's up to you. And they went, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe, uh, you know, maybe he won't be there. Then I find out week off, oh, we think we think he's going to be there. So then again, there's the sense of, okay, then it's, I, you might need to get someone else unless, you uh, if, you, if you have a problem with what uh, I feel I would have to bring up. Uh, and they said, no. It'll be fine, and I, I think Who's I said the they like the publicists and no, no, not the publicists. Like the it was the Tribeca Institute. That's that's the that was the charity event oh. that it was for. It was the the charitable uh, branch of the Tribeca uh, right. Film Festival. Um, so then we're kind of locked in. Well, I could not turn up. I, right. I could just ghost the whole event, but that feels like a pretty monumental act of cowardice. Right. Um. Uh. So I knew. So I just. Uh, I did research. I thought about the best way to have a conversation. He'd already made a... It was one of those kind of bullshit pseudo-apologies written by a publicist. Yeah. Kind of de facto admission without quite crossing the line. I that, categorically deny. No, not not that, though. I'm sorry no, you it, feel it, that it, way. It was the... Wor- <laughs> it was the uh, what I sometimes the categorically deny, I kind of got no problem with. That's a point of view. Right. But when I hear that, I know a publicist wrote it. Oh, sure. But at least then there is a firm ground of, right. I, I am going to... This is... I'm going to die on this hill. It did not happen. Right. They took it his 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 statement through the publisher was more. I apologize to her if she felt upset. That's the stuff that's, that this does not reflect who I am. That drives me nuts. <laughs> right. So uh, I, I wanted to unpick that statement, and then uh, it escalated from there. <laughs> is it is it like all right? You know. Uh, uh, like that whole like I'll see you after class sort of thing, and you you're just sitting in the corner <laughs> and you're like, well, what am, what am bam, you know, is it was it that was your heart racing or was I'll it- see you after class. That's not a level of bravado. I've ever, oh, I as as a high schooler, I capitulated in conversation. It was if it was ever I'll see you after class. You won't. I'll stay in the classroom. I'll wait you out. I'm not coming outside. I'll hide behind the teacher. It, but it could have gone either way though. Was there at least like, a hand switch? How do you? Oh yeah, it's horrible. How, how, how it many? Was horrible. An hour? Was it an hour? Was it a ninety minute thing? Like when did you time it? Like okay, like. 45 minute mark i'm gonna <laughs> you know what that is a great question so because it's a like it's a there's an audience have come to see whack the dog also this this introduction is happening before the movie starts <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Wow. So, so this is right this is the needle that i'm having to thread so i thought 20 minutes let's talk about 
watch their talk, whatever. Then I'll raise this. They didn't show it first and then have a Q&A afterwards. I think they wanted to leave. I think like the, the, the people on the stage wanted to go and have dinner or whatever. I don't know. I wasn't invited. Anyway, <laughs> uh, they, uh, so I thought I talked about the movie for 20 minutes, half an hour, because that's what people have come to see. Raise this issue. We'll see, see how long that takes. How'd 10 you minutes. seg into it? Uh, God, I can't remember. Oh, I think actually it was a forced segue. Cause I would made be remiss it, he made if it. I didn't mention. No, it was actually, it, it was, he, he said something that was a little glib about, also you got to remember, Whack the Talk yeah. is a movie about Spinning. sexual harassment right. and, and or assault within that. We don't know in that story uh, that was then buried. And not addressed, and the and the way that you could powerfully bury it. So there is a gigantic elephant in the room: the very fact that this is the, the movie, movie is that about. he's sitting there talking yeah. about. The fact that he or that anyone thought I wasn't going to bring it up is crazy to me. It kind of makes me think: what? How little do you think of me? Did he know? I'm not going to bring this up. No. Does he? Does he Did know? He, I mean, you know, they could have told him beginning, him? like he might want to talk about the issue, and he was like, I don't, oh, I mean, "Okay." Did I'm they tell it? him? Maybe. I, I, I have no idea. But here's the question, see, and, and even when you ask that question, like, what did he expect? I think a lot of interviews, especially lately, everybody's trying to navigate what's the right way to go about this. So you kind of broke the mold with that. And I don't know if anybody know. else has followed it up in that way. I mean, like, it's, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't on TV, right? This is just at the 92nd Street Y. So what I was trying, what I wanted, it was, I wanted to, for, with any of these issues, and they're all different. Mm -hmm. right? Every single example is different. So it's a case by case by case basis. But you want to try and get to some introspection because in lots of these stories, it certainly makes me introspective, right, in terms of workplaces that I've been in, like behaviors of my of friends of mine that I may have like conveniently overlooked or turned like a, a long calloused blind eye, blind eye to it. So it's, it's, this has really made me introspective. So the fact that I, there was absolutely no introspection coming out of him was irritating to me and so he was like retreating from the position that he was uh, that he, he'd made in that statement and was standing his ground and then was coming at me and I definitely was not going to yield so then we had a problem so then like the the funny part and now wag the dog that, well that's the, that's the crazy thing is that you know it's not that's not a very friendly audience for me there because like, there's lots of friends uh, fans of his I didn't this was not a situation of mine making I personally don't believe that the problems are my questions, they were his answers. But there's still part of my head which is thinking, I got this kind of goes back to your early thing about what an, thinking about what an audience wants. Right. What the audience wants at that moment is for the tension to stop yeah, and they can watch this movie, which is fine. And so I, I was thinking, okay, we've talked about this enough, let's bend this back around. So I had a, I can't remember what it was, but I had a way to get back to talking about Wag the Dog. Uh, so we, we talked about that for another half an hour, but then he brought it back up because he wanted to go. Oh, wow. So I, I couldn't gauge the audience reaction, though, fully. Like, was it there was a split? <gasps> it was no, not her. I mean, it was... Or Freebird! <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Freebird would have been a great tension dissipation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next time you do this, just put us in the audience and we'll just yell Freebird to get you just out of it. Freebird! That's your safe word. <laughs> Yo, so let me just ask you then on the subject, since you said you were introspective about the Me Too, the Time's yeah. Up, and a lot of people, a lot of women are feeling some type of way about men's reaction, men's vocal ability I'm to sure. speak on the subject. You have a new season starting in a week. 
number one, how do you feel and what do you feel that something should be said from the male perspective? And number two, how are you going to do that on your show? I mean, I think or, or something you... definitely should be said about from the male. I think it's important for men to talk to other men about this. Um, it's yeah, it's not it's it's definitely not important for men to explain to women that this is an important issue. <laughs> because I, uh, I want you to sit down so we can have a talk. That's right. <laughs> but it is important for men to say it out loud in front of women so that women understand that you too count this as an important issue. I guess, issue. but look, yeah. it's such a complicated conversation. I think it is important. Like, I've I've talked to friends of mine about it. Like it's it's this is conversation that a lot of us have avoided for kind of understandable reasons with friends. Right when you see your friend doing something gross or you know it, there, there are many very damaging inclinations to go ah that's just that's i i know him he's not like that he's not like that to you right. yeah mm -hmm. I, he I ain't trying to fuck you that's that <laughs> well that's the thing like i you know you, you i've met a lot of as these stories have started coming out and sometimes i've thought oh uh, that's weird he was really nice to me and you think mm -hmm. yeah he mm -hmm. probably fucking was nice to me <laughs> he's a man's man <laughs> yeah. yeah and but it's easy like look Lots of the people involved have a natural charisma, and it's no one is just one thing either. It's it's complicated, like you say. It's there are there are shades of grey here. Not only is every single situation different, but um, uh, it's also a lot to play with comedy wise. I'm not for nothing. I'm just saying. Definitely, definitely, in, and in an in a fun way because it's a minefield, mm -hmm. and it's fun to run through minefields. What are the requirements? <laughs> What's the eligibility? Is like so, yeah. Uh, I, th I think it is important to I, I'm we're working on th we're working on a whole bunch of stories at the moment we're working on something I don't know what, what we got to work out what we can add to it right what hasn't been said and what we could say that would be f constructive and funny it's a blank canvas though for real so <laughs> so we should have Russell on Questlove Supreme you know ooh. oh I think, we I think we should naturally just what yeah, do you think? but with John, John? and John just, can just, John just, can just right, right. steer just, that in the right direction. Just play whack the dog for everyone. After <laughs> <as well>. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, because I think after a while, it's just like everybody guilty is left. Yeah, right. in, in about three years, it's just gonna be. But it's not binary. Right? Again, it's not like everybody's guilty. For a start, that's such that's so depressing. That idea that everyone's guilty—that's a kind of level of cynicism that even I don't have. Right. But I do think the important thing is for everyone to be introspective about it. I think you've got to look at yourself and your friends, and it doesn't not not every incident is going to require the same response. Right. Um, yeah. But so had he not uh, just one more, had Dustin not said or tried to walk back the statement a little bit, the the whole point of you calling him out on it was wait, did you just undo the statement that you said that? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, the, I think the point was we have to talk about this. We're again, we're at Wag the Dog, right? The movie about sexual harassment <laughs> that was squashed. <laughs> so if you don't think this is going to come up, that is a level of indestructibility which is in itself a real problem here. Mm -hmm. So uh, no, there was a way for that to go much smoother and be more interesting, and I don't think it was entirely my fault that it didn't go that way. Fight the powers that be, man. <laughs> Pasty, Pasty Chuck D. <laughs> All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. 
make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. So... <laughs> where where we are now with year one with this current administration. Um I mean, I go back to my first question, which is how exhausting is it? How do you have any hopes that <laughs> Well, that's a bleak question. Do you, do you have, have any hopes? hope? End of question. <laughs> no, well, I meant, you know, I know that a lot is being put on you know, God, please let these midterms have a turnaround. Do you have faith? Do you, do you have faith in in the system still in in American people? Or, you know, my thing is that if Russia did it once, Russia will do it twice. And of course, you know, will Will we be okay at the end of 2018? <laughs> will we be here? Well, you're going to you're gonna put that on me. Will we be? Will we be? Here? Will we be here in 2018? <laughs> I mean, I guess there's there's degrees to that, right? I think if if the if you're holding up the midterms as this kind of perfect silver bullet that's going to make everything okay, that is not going to happen. So you think we're going to get four years of Trump? Four years. Of, I, I, we, there's no reason to not think we're going to get eight years of I don't Trump. know what you're saying. There's Why a non-zero would... chance we're getting 12 years of him. <laughs> you really but, think so? No, he could change the rules. But here's the thing. Like, even if he, I can't be here on Earth if that he, happens. But he is not... He, listen, this is... He is a deeply unpleasant human being. But the shit that he stirred up doesn't stop just with him, right? Obviously. Yeah. So if the midterms flip, if he goes... There is a Someone else in the shitload of stuff still to deal with in its wake. The fact that he's churned up all uh, all the problems uh, with white nationalism. I'm not, only because you mentioned it, I'm not pointing directly. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. You know, white nationalism. Fonte, you know, Fonte. 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 We used to be right up there. <laughs> uh, uh, 
Yeah, all the kind of dog whistle racism, which is now audible, yeah. which has now just become human whistle racism. That even <laughs> even that speech last oh n- my last God. night. Talk about it. The MS13 oh, like, directly thing. tying right. them yeah. to the dreamers. Oh. That's some pretty toxic shit, and that doesn't go away when he does. How about the so, slave reference? Don't forget about the slave reference when he pointed out <laughs> the owner, the white owner of the business who just expanded into another building, and then he says, "Oh, and the black guy over there, Corey, he's a good worker. He works for that." <laughs> guy right there and you know what he's going to do with his tax break he's going to take his tax break and he's going to buy a house and he's going to get education for his two daughters Wait, how can you because he's quote a good worker because she just did. it was, was so impressive. racist that and i knew that a lot of people didn't you see that plantation it? race yes i did, I did cause I did somebody too. needed to have the reference of yeah nah nigga. thing is thing, uh, yeah. <laughs> the fs13 i was, was waiting for some trevor noah thing is he is the he is the conductor of racism Yo, and the, yes. the orchestra right. is still yes. going to be there when he's clouds away yeah, those, I can't wait for the black man to come out who had sex with Ivanka. Those bigoted bassoons are still going to be playing <laughs> after he's twirled his stick around. But your girl recanted her story, though. Uh, the Stormy no. Daniels, Stormy Seriously? Weather, Stormy Daniels. She recanted? Oh, she recanted? She was like, she was like nah, it never happened. Yeah, you, you but never she, had how much did they give her? She's dancing. She moonwalked it back, but then she shuffled forward again. I yeah, think she it's did. not. <laughs> it's, she it's camel not, walked. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Moonwalk forward is camel walking. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to James Brown. Oh, yeah. she, no, for yeah. real, she did. Yes, yeah, she yeah, did. Uh, she, there was, she there was a, 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 yeah. She was dancing around it on Kimmel. We'll see where she lands. But yeah, she uh, she moonwalked backwards and I'm certain. Forward. I'm certain that you know there was another hundred thousand dollar check written to yeah. go on and just say. Well, she's, got, she's on a powerful. But she had already so. admitted to it like two other times back in the past. And both of those stories were the same, and they were corroborated. Also, she's. I, I worry about too much attention on the Stormy Daniels thing because who gives a yes. shit? His wife, sure. No, I, I, get, I get how Melania would. I get how she would be pissed off. Otherwise, this happy. is this is not in the top hundred things that we should be really concerned about. What is happening right now? It's it's certainly. It's certainly funny. I think it just shows the double standard. I think I think that's why it's become such a popular story because it's, it's showing the double standard. You know, if, if it was Obama that had sex with the porn star, then he would have been. Motherfucker, if Obama really. had liked an Instagram picture right. of some model chick, right. it would have been but, over. But this yeah. is not the first big double standard. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, it's just you know another in the long line of, of yeah. them. Yeah. So. And is yeah. that new? I mean, it's true. you could you could tell us better than anything, John. I mean, I know you've been here for eleven years, but. And when you're watching these stories, does it seem a little different than what's going on? On in England? Yeah. No, there was, I mean, a, politician Brexit. In, there was a politician in England who was found dead masturbating with a with an orange in his mouth. Excuse oh, me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, please don't. Sure, he had sex with a porn orange? star. <laughs> sounds like a I Black think, Mirror episode. I think, yeah. it was a, I think it was a Satsuma, a Clementine. Wow. I can't, I can't Ooh, remember the exact story. He had a, what did Specific. Specific. Clementine. I, yeah, I just like, remember that's a hell of a way to go out. Poor baby. <laughs> Um, <laughs> with nutrition and vitamin but yeah, C. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he died as he lived in search of vitamin C. Um, oh, mom. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, Britain is wrestling with a whole different kind of problems. We That Brexit is going to tear Britain and Europe apart for decades to come. So that is a whole different shitstorm. Don't we kind of blame Trump for that a little bit, too? No, okay. that is not on him. Yeah, I was going to say, we're... Is that coming? I'm about to be like the ignorant journalist. Like, can you still weigh in on uh, issues over there? Like, where? You mean, does anyone want to hear it from me? 
No, I, I guess I guess not. The last you know, what, you know in, the, in the same way that people say, I don't want to hear it from a Brit over here. People in Britain Britain are like, hey, you moved to America you 10 years ago. <laughs> I'm a man without a country. So break down the Brexit, like for those of us, like what exactly It was a it fucking stupid thing to do. Okay. Uh, it was, well, I get the first stupid thing to do was to call a referendum on it at all. Okay. So it was a like an incredibly self-serving decision made from a prime minister who's not prime minister any, anymore, and the fact he made that decision will taint his record for the rest of his life. He should be he should struggle to sleep over calling that referendum. Then, then you're getting into the complexities of the fact that the EU, which was set up, uh, you know, for good reasons, uh, with good intentions, which is not uh, perfect, which is flawed. Um, uh, has irritated people. It irritates everyone. Everybody, everybody in it is irritated by it. But you don't, you know, you don't get to live in a perfect world all the time. And then there was a lot of anti-immigrant stoking, race baiting, completely bullshit data where people were promised money that would not come back to See, them. See, that's where we thought Trump came in. The impression. Yeah, it's, no, it, yeah. There is. It's mate. There's the same juice source of discontent mm -hmm. uh, is uh, uh, made. Both, both decisions possible, both decisions which seemed like they would uh, be impossible made them plausible. And then, of course, like so that it made it, it did mean that having watched Brexit happen and it was just heartbreaking to watch that happen, knowing what that will do to Britain and to Europe. So how long does that how long do we have? until that actually takes until it happens place. yeah yeah well i mean they're negotiating now so they they instituted this article so they're, they're involved in these literally impossible negotiations right now wow. so um so if and when it does happen that means what that is a that is a question you should ask the prime minister of the uk and the head of the eu it's not it, it it's not clear it's not clear who will be allowed to live where who will be able to tra trade with whom. Yeah. It's not clear if there will be a hard border in Northern Ireland. Again, which I don't know how much you knew about the troubles in Northern Ireland here. Oh, it didn't wow. work yeah. out too well last time. <laughs> there, it is, it's, almost, it, it, it's almost bamboozling. The depth of complexity and problems with Brexit is absolutely mind-blowing. So it's all you can say for sure is this probably isn't going to go well. But if I can flip that question back on you, is it going to be okay, Amir? <laughs> well, the <laughs> thing is, Brexit be okay. Will my dollar be Tell good? me it's going to be okay. Look, I'm I'm only asking because, well, again, this this also leads to the the again back to exhausting and pressure. Yeah. How real is the quote unquote? John Oliver effect in your not head. Real in the like you wake up in the morning brushing your teeth like Yo, man, I be affecting shit. Like <laughs> when I'm brushing my I'm not even effective in shifting plaque. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that again, it's would it does it make you paranoid that as quick as like Americans are world famous for building someone up <laughs> just to tear them down. Like, yeah. So are you paranoid that you have so much... I mean, you you kind of have a power that sort of extends past what Jon Stewart was doing. I don't know. And I hate to say that. I, I, don't don't know, know, I, don't never, I honestly do. don't know don't that's think. true at all. I think that the, the John Oliver effect seems like so, a really... It's bullshit. I, you're going to say it's a reach. Hyperbole. Of course, you're going to say it's a reach. I know that. L let me just say it. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that. I know you're going to think it's a reach, but I. What I'm saying is, are you 
at least on defense? Not on defense. I think I'm more aware. If, if, I, like, if I really think about like, like are the they going to try to 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 tap into your? Then it, oh, oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you like, mean look for anything to discredit oh, yeah. you? To oh, of, I mean, of course. Like we we've had like we we've done stories about Russia, uh, North Korea, and oh, you know, I went to meet Snowden in Russia. So we've had like high level cyber security for a while. I have a I have a healthy amount of paranoia, but yeah. I guess I guess in in terms of my motivations for things, I I basically. I've, I'm trying to think about this as honestly as possible, right? I, I, I still fundamentally refute the premise of like this nebulous John Oliver effect. What I will say is, I, I am cognizant of the fact that just by the by dint of being on TV mm-hmm. and on being on TV with a show that uh, people watch for whatever reason, there is a we do have an amplifier effect. So. You know, I think the first time that nonsense term came up was in the wake of uh, you know the net neutrality debate the mm-hmm. first time. People have been talking about net neutrality for a long time. There's a lot of people that have been writing detailed articles uh, and good investigative journalism in that whole sphere. Yeah, you broke but it down. Yeah. we were an amplifier, <laughs> yeah, exactly. right? So we have a louder voice. So I'm definitely cognizant of the fact that we have a loud voice and uh, that's probably the only... <laughs> Don't say loud. See, that, loud diminishes it. It's right. not just loud. It's, it's accurate. It's, and, it's, and it's accurate and it's understandable. Like, yeah. people of all levels can understand and it breaks things down. And which, don't, so don't do that. that. that I'm, yeah, that I'm aware of. Yeah. Like, when we talk, I'm, I'm aware that people will listen. And generally, we'll, when we say, if we're thinking about getting people to do something, I do think about, you know, sometimes in the past, like, like even if we're writing things on The Daily Show, think, oh, it'd be funny if you did, if people went and did this. Uh, and the the joke is is finished, and that you don't want them to actually do it. I'm much more aware now of the fact that if we say do something, people might do it. So like the uh, uh, the, the uh, Chechen warlord. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like when we were just asking people to fuck with, it, he lost his cat, and so uh, on, we were saying he lost it. He has this dumb cat, yeah, and uh, he lost it, and so uh, he, on. He's very active on Instagram, and so we just said to people. Take photos of any cat you see and send it to him on Instagram saying, is this your cat? That was the first point that I, th- I kind of thought, that's a funny idea. I wasn't really anticipating you people didn't did think it. That it would oh, go, they man. did it yeah. hard and he was pissed. At which point, I pissed off a Chechen warlord. Wow. So <laughs> right. that, at that point, I'm thinking, I probably need to think through when I say do something, what, what would happen if people actually did it? Well, I mean... The- what what areas I know you you along with net neutrality uh, you've taken on the tobacco industry like you yeah. you've done a yeah. billion now I mean Oprah tried this once <laughs> with the, the, the beef well, industry you're yeah. gonna put Oprah on yeah. me now <laughs> no but the thing well, is is that done. when she tried to go at the beef industry yeah, they clap back they cl- <laughs> they clap back hard <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> what you do it for the vine we do it for the bovine. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. I wish I had my sound effects from that, that was too classic. <laughs> that was awesome. Um uh, what do you see a mountain you can't climb? No, because also with these stories, you gotta understand they know what's coming. Like we work with them. Like we're in contact with Philip Morris International as we're writing that oh, wow. story. Just like we're in contact with 
coal companies that we talk about. There's a back and forth in, hey, this is uh, what we're going to say about you. Have you got anything to say about that? Oh, well, that's not based on anything. Well, here is what that is based on. They know there has been, we don't want to get anything wrong. So, you know, if, if there is correction, if things have been badly reported, we want to not amplify that bad reporting. But has there been an organization that has said no? I mean, oh, sure. not said no, like Scientology or whoever you want to investigate. Like, who's the one organization that you're trying to sort of move past this uh, 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 this gate that... I don't know if there is one, right? I mean, it's... I don't know if there is, like, a, there's there's no kind of... So there's no Fort Knox subject to you that you no, wouldn't not, not really. dare touch? Not really. It's, just, and it, it's because... Whenever we're taking swings, we're trying to engage the people that we're taking swings at, mm -hmm. so that so that we basically agree on the underlying facts. We just might have different conclusions to those facts, right? But the, but those facts have got to be accurate, and, the, and the, so our key difference of opinion is what those facts mean. Uh, but so yeah, I mean I don't. I, I'm sure that there have been many companies that have pissed off with us, <laughs> but they can't dispute what we actually said. They can, dis they can disagree with our opinions, but they can't dispute the facts that we cited. Have you gotten any feedback from any, uh, since, I mean, any activists in the community? I'm curious more now than Daily Show, it feels like since you're changing some culture a little bit or informing, that it'd be some folks who'd be like, call you up. Like, you know, Al Gore, like, I'm so glad that you did. Al, Al Gore does not have my cell number. <laughs> and oh, it, man. And does he want your cell and, number? And if, if he ever calls me on my phone, I'm throwing it in the river. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, get, I'm getting a burner. Another name, Michael Moore. It's like, no, yeah, yeah. I really appreciate it. I don't go anywhere. I don't know anyone. So, yeah. I, yeah, I live in, there's not too many tentacles that people can <laughs> touch Nobody can me touch with. John. Yeah. But, yeah, people pitch stories all the time and we're like, as they do within our office, and we'll uh, we'll look at them. Oh, that's dope. You don't even think about it like that. Like now, people are trying to get their word out through you. Yeah, we don't really listen to many outside pitches, to be honest. Mm. So it's, there's no idea too silly. Like even the idea of you going to Russia to interview him—that's like, a dumb idea. <laughs> yeah, but no, no I <laughs> because just, that's art, that's literally asking for trouble. That was, that, that was what was so exhilarating about it. But how did you, you yeah, decide? Let's just ask him because yeah. I thought I thought there was the thing that I was most interested about with Snowden was he's an incredibly smart guy. But like lots of people that are smart in that particular way, he's not a great communicator. So like he releases incredibly important information for everyone to reckon with. And you might not like the way that he released it, but the fact is what he released is very important. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's no value to that unless people understand it. So uh, I, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to try and find a way to deal with the contents of that material in the way that made sense to people. So I'd re we'd reached out through his lawyer to say, hey, would you ever want to do an interview? Also, the slight connection was uh, that I had to Snowden was that uh, John's first day, having left that summer, Snowden happened. So like, what was supposed to be a very first, uh, very calm first day mm -hmm. in the chair for me of, oh, whatever, it's summer, let's just talk about different things. All of a sudden, the Snowden story erupts. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> So I've always felt kind of very tied to him in that way. That he, you, you, you yeah. and him. Yeah, yeah, that's right. we're, we're both in trouble in a similar way. <laughs> but so, so he, uh, I, I talked to him on his like encrypted line here, and then, um, then we went to Moscow, and the Russians were not pleased we were there. The American government, I don't think, were thrilled that we'd left. So you kind of end up pissing off everyone. 
But what what did they say at customs when you came back? Like nothing. We were we were worried. Like we, we were worried that like we'd split the tapes amongst the crew to, in case one of us got pulled. So at least some, some, some tapes and... would go through. Yeah. And um, the crazy thing is, God, I forgot about this. I've never had this happen on a flight before. But they uh, when we landed from Moscow, uh, they said there was the, like they said, oh, everyone stay in your seats. Like the FBI are here to pick up a couple of passengers. So me and my wow. producers wow. went, fuck, <laughs> fuck. Wow. But it was it wasn't us. I don't know who it was. Oh, what? <laughs> I was not sticking around. Other criminal. Yeah, I don't know who it was. They got Ooh. they got two. <laughs> Maybe they got two people thinking. So it was when they us. walked on the plane, <laughs> yeah, no, they were. We were walking past. They were. They were there. They. Uh, we, they were walking past. So they were going to get people as they. Uh, as they pulled up. So how did you know off. America was pissed then? Because uh, we, we were. Yeah, we knew. We reached out to them after we'd gone just because we wanted to fact check everything he'd said. Mm. Also, he wanted us to do that because he didn't want information to no longer be current. He wants to be right as well. He doesn't want to be giving out bad information. So uh, we reached out uh, to the NSA. And uh, said, uh, "This is the stuff that we were. I'm sure. I am sure they knew we were there. If if they didn't know we were there, that seems like yeah, a problem for the US government. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was a surprise that we were there. Well, I'm banking on between you and Rachel Maddow. My money's on you to to break open this." Uh, Current administration. Oh man, you are back in the wrong horse, there, man. <laughs> nah, man, your movie's gonna be lit, man. Your version of all, all new the new season. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. That on the new season. Were there any stories that you were really wishing that you were on the air for? Not really, because we don't generally traffic in those. St- like it, we, we do some slow cooking with with our stories, so it's not. We, we're operating in a slightly different. Mm-hmm. Slightly different arena, mm-hmm. so there's there's nothing particularly that we've missed that it felt like we were going to have much to add to, other than everything. But you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're when we were excited to come back. We got a bunch of ideas, some of which are related to everything that's going on, and some of which are not. It, it would totally kill you, but could you operate in a fifty-two week? No, not not making this show. Because we we make mistakes, uh, you know, it's just too intense. That we, with making this particular kind of, we could do a different show for fifty two weeks, um, but you can't do this. So one. then that takes out my other question: Could this be a daily? No. Okay. It, we could do it. We could do a daily show, but it wouldn't. But the be amount this of thorough research, you and... just can't. It's not physically possible. So it, it takes it takes longer to do this stuff. So we can only we can only do the amount of shows that we do because we need to build in breaks in the year where we're not doing shows but we're still working because we get in if if we make a big mistake we're fucked right because we've got we definitely have enough of a target on our back now that you get something wrong in a big way it's kind of done you don't want to tell us a little bit john like about, about what what we're working on did you got what i got in the slow cooker what's in the crock pot I don't know if we got anything that's... One of the nice things I like about the show is I like the fact that you don't know what we're going to talk okay, about, right? With lots, with lots of late-night shows, you basically know you, you, people are eating from the same buffet. And what's nice is that with those main... That, that main story that if we're going to say, and tonight we're going to talk about charter schools, you'd think, well, okay, all right. <laughs> Let's see. Let's talk about 
that's what we look forward to. That's why I'm really trying to squeeze yeah. it out of you. I'm like, is it going to oh, be charter right. schools? Is it going to be a story on charter schools? Yeah. I really want to know but then, what your You know what? If we is. said it was, no one would watch. <laughs> we kind of have, have to trap you into watching uh, something that you don't really want to see. I think it. you think that, but as a viewer, I'm already knowing. You said charter schools. I want to know what the John yeah, Oliver's your take been on, on yeah, those charter yeah. schools. It's just... You don't know. We have to explain as part of the writing why something's important. So if we were to say, that's "Oh, we're, guess what? We're going to do something about Sinclair Bo- Broadcasting yeah. Group," people go, "Ah, that sounds terrible." How many writers are in the room? We write. It's not. It's not so much a writers' room in the traditional sense, but we have at the moment we have eight writers plus uh, plus Tim and I. I think that's the current tally, and th- that's what we have right now. We might. We might get a couple more. Do I need to audit your female male ratio, John? Or, <laughs> you how, can, your, how are your writers' room doing? How, how's it doing? Two, two to six right now. You trying to leave this gig to go right. to his show? No, no, no. no she's no, just, just asking. Audit. I'm just auditing. I like to That's, audit writers' rooms. It's not. Yeah. I think you want to size it up to see where you fit into no, it. No, I'm auditing to see if I'm actually in there represented. Oh, okay. Hello. That is an entirely legitimate question. So two to six is not the the balance that i'm happy with at the moment so we're in the process of trying to put that right i have to that we're, we're in the process right now of hiring somebody got over fired. you just got somebody fired like no i did no 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 come on all right y'all you know what season it is tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I got a question. I got a question. Yeah. Um, so we've we've talked a little bit about um, 
little bits and pieces of how the show is put together. Yeah. Can you walk us through like what an, an actual week is like? You know, is it is every Monday pretty much the same? No, because it's not really like one week. So those those main stories we're on four week cycles, right? Okay. So you like there's a a, a week of uh, like just research to check that the story is being reported accurately that hasn't shifted, and then uh, like another week of research and footage, looking for footage whether there's the the ingredients in terms of other people's footage that we can use to tell the story. Then we start writing two weeks out from the show. Then there's the week of the show when we're starting to really uh, fact check no. everything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> think, oh, oh, this is bad. So, have- so those, those parts of the show are on four-week cycles. The top of the show is on the one week. Okay. Do you have a difficult time like establishing what's a success and what's not? Because there are some Sundays where the next on a Monday, everyone's talking about what John Oliver did on his show, yeah. and then some there's not. I don't really pay much attention to that because we're already worried about the next one. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, like if you if I paid too much attention to the ripple effect, I'd either go crazy, I'd get frustrated, kind of litigating why people were not taking it. Because it's I, I think that what I find frustrating when something does get passed around is you can't control the packaging. So all that bullshit clickbait terminology of oh he destroys this industry. Think, well, that's not <laughs> what happened at all. Right. Right. That was not my intention. At no point. Was that part of it? But the fact it's been packaged yeah, that way—that's the way they framed re- it. Yeah, yeah, and it recontextualizes what you've done, and it changes the way that people watch it, and that can be frustrating. Unfortunately, it's nothing I can do anything about. So that's like dead frustration. That's like being on message boards that you shouldn't be on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> being on blogs, after playing a right, DJ right. gig. Yeah. 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 Oh. <laughs> Look, I'm just looking for remixes for certain Michael <laughs> I'm Jackson trying to, songs. I'm trying to save you from yourself. <laughs> we so, all are. I was about to say Welcome to Questlove's yeah, Radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's all we say. It's basically an intervention with yeah. one different guest each week. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Here's right, therapy session. I got, I got one more question. Yeah. All right. Um. So, were you guys actually surprised at how well or how much the internet took to some of the long form pieces that you guys yeah, did of course. because yeah it's 14 minute pieces in the internet 14 is it's way longer than well, 14 look 14, 14 would plus. be a short <laughs> short piece like they are around 20 like again we've done long show stories longer than our show is supposed to be so um yeah it doesn't make any sense i don't understand why anyone watches it or enjoys it <laughs> i have more than enough self-loathing it. to find my success inexplicable <laughs> No, your show's no. made for the iPhone, man. Like it's, <laughs> it's, and you. I mean, you break things down. I think that's what one of the reasons I watch it. You, you break it I down. Explain it. I think one to thing. A kindergarten. I think that one thing that is really useful for us, especially being on HBO, is because these stories are running twenty minutes. Like uh, they have an arc to them where we kind of need your full attention. So we can't be breaking twice for commercials right. in there, right. otherwise. <laughs> It's you, you kind of lose people's focus and then you've got to recap. So it's, it's very, very important to us that there is not a commercial break in there, partly because we're sometimes talking shit about companies, but mainly because we need like uninterrupted attention for 20 minutes. Not to fish for a compliment for HBO, but do you ever look around and feel good about being on that network scene as though it seems like they support between Vice and Vice, Bill right. and like they support this voice of say what you want to say as long as it's truth? And politics and... I guess, I mean, I can only speak from my experience. I'm sure people have been annoyed by them that have worked for them. I can only speak from my experience, which is that they said, you will do you can do whatever you want. And, uh, you, and But immediately you think, well, that's bullshit. Everyone <laughs> says that. And that conversation turns really quick when you start doing things they don't want you to do. And they have kept their mouth shut. So... 
Sesame Street was told the same thing. We could do whatever the fuck we want to do. <laughs> that's, that's right. All <laughs> Yo, that's you right. got to have the Cursed Muppet. Yeah. Y'all on HBO. I'm <laughs> no. really just Cursed Muppets. Oscar talking shit about Scientology. Oh. <laughs> can do whatever he wants. Oh, that would be great. It's my favorite yeah. subject. Love, <laughs> I love Scientology. <laughs> have you read? Have you read that book? I've read the books. The I've book's incredible. It's all what, the, incredible. The, the, uh, the L. Ron Hubbard joint. Yeah, no, 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 not Dianetics. No, no. <laughs> the no, Remedy. No, no, no. The um, uh, what's it? Going uh, clear. Going clear. Going clear. Yeah, yeah. In the movie. That's the yeah. The book. I was. That was. That was. It's the, amazing. I couldn't put that thing I'm down. Befuddled. It's amazing. The whole yeah. thing. Anyway, well, what, what, a deep on the, on the other hand, it's a series of uh, mechanics that can really help you turn your life around. <laughs> <laughs> it really depends so whether you read uh, Going yeah. Clear or Dianetics. Yeah. I'd read that one first, just in yeah, case right, it's not right, right, right. Oh, this seems like I'm an amazing human being that yeah. just needs to access my full potential. Yeah, I have one last, qu- Pluto. One last question. I really want to work on Tom Cruise's motorbike. <laughs> What's it like to interview Stephen Hawking? Amazing. <laughs> it was honestly ama- Now, the reason I wanted to do that was that he's a funny guy. And so the thing about him that I find frustrating is that, you know, it's very, very easy to just objectify that guy as being uh, a a brain beyond most of our comprehension and that's it. Mm -hmm. Whereas he's a a really, he loves comedy, right? Loves The Simpsons. That's why he does appearances on things. And I know he's, um, uh, he has a good sense of humor. So I wanted to try and get at that and that's not easy, right, because of his physical circumstances. And so what we had to do was um, write that interview back and forth beforehand, and he would trigger it up on his computer. So I would say, hey, I'm, g- I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, then he would like say, oh, uh, he would say, oh, this, this will be my, uh, my answer, because it takes him a long time to communicate now. Uh, and then he would have his answers queued up. But you could see like a glint in his eye, because I wanted him to like, this would be a shit-talking thing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to... St- it was really fun watching his face light up when he knew he was about to give me a give me the business. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like the, the like the anticipation on his face when he was about to drop a slam on me was fantastic. So it was great to just slightly waste his time. <laughs> you just gave us an exclusive. I didn't know that was, those are really his voices on like when he does the Simpsons and Family Guy. That's yeah, crazy. yeah, yeah, Damn. yeah. Um, yeah, I have a question. Um, Tatas. I was just. <laughs> that's not a question. Yeah. That's, a, yeah. that's an answer. That's the answer. answer. <laughs> um, I was just wondering if you had any background or education in journalism, or if you learned all these journalistic skills at your job, at it's your not, comedy jobs. Well, it's not just me, right? So the journalistic skills come from my staff. So we got people from you know the Times Magazine, from ProPublica. Okay. So um, you have no journalistic skills. I, I, honestly, no. Like no, I have. I'm like I am. I'm journalism adjacent. Like they they, they have worked. In journalism, but you didn't so study. They stop us getting. No, 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 okay. no. I'm, I'm a comedian, not just a comedian. I'm a comedian, <laughs> which takes me back to when do you think you will go in front of an audience and just tell us why the chicken crossed the road and changing uh, diapers and, and talk about and, pussy. Oh, oh! You mean <laughs> what? I don't know. That, what, what, that escalated what, what really fast. Yeah. Like diapers to pussy really fast. <laughs> yeah. Because I would never expect John Oliver to do that. So I was just yeah, going. Yeah, I'm not. I, I once, I once had a friend in England. He offered me, he, like, he ran a gig and he offered me fifty quid to do a dirty set. Yeah. And he said, "But you got to do it for five minutes." And I was in 
agony. <laughs> 90, 90 seconds in. It was like Hugh Grant in Four Years in a Funeral. Then, oh, wow. If I can talk about the Tartars, as uh, W.B. Yates, I believe, what it's called. Them. Uh, uh, oh, my God. Oh, where is that? Is it on tape somewhere? No. No. <laughs> is this gone for all yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, the I don't have a blue set in me. You know what? I think... Uh, I, I think I know the, the, the taboo interview show that you could tackle. Oh, yeah? It would be crazy. And I know he's going to grant an interview. Who? I think you should interview O.J. Simpson. <gasps> oh, <laughs> I would, the juice. I would, the, the juice loose on, <laughs> on Mike. I would love to. We know, I know Ezra, Ezra Edelman. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah who made, uh, who yeah. Made, made the... Yeah, the fifty-five-hour documentary. I watched that shit four times already. So I think, uh, yeah, I think he might be looking for Ezra before he's looking for me. But uh, <laughs> or or, or Jay Z. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Oh, he's written a song about me. That's great. Let me listen. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yo, when wow. I was watching the Grammys, I was just praying to God that Jay Z won that award just so <laughs> yeah, just so we can get OJ Simpson clip out of it. <laughs> get his OJ prize. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> Lifetime OJ. You always okay. think about that. The, oh God, OJ no, Simpson, John like, interview, man. I was thinking OJ versus even, even even more than Harvey Weinstein. I think like it's. I know he's in. I know he's uh, uh, sort of putting feelers out there that you know he is reentry. Yeah, yeah but I think it's more like for money. Like the thing, like I'll talk for five hundred thousand dollars. I know that, that you're OJ not that is business. motivated by money. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy talk. Believe it or not, right? <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I would think that would be an awesome interview. I'd like the thing I loved about Ezra's documentary was, as a British person, like my encounter with OJ was airplane onwards, <laughs> airplane to murder. Right? <laughs> so it was. Oh, so when that when that story came out, it was more in England. Oh, that guy from that funny guy in airplane, and then he comes, he killed someone. <laughs> and so it was. What I didn't understand was everything before then. Yeah. I didn't understand. I didn't understand. You didn't know that he looked like Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> I didn't. I understood uh, he was a football player, but not exactly yeah, the kind of mythology of it. Was. Of it yeah. I didn't understand the Hertz commercials, so uh, there was a lot in that that I didn't know. Well, the the last OJ, the party OJ, yeah, that's Lord the OJ, OJ I knew, right? And have you that, met him? Have you seen him, dog? Um, <laughs> Go ahead, tell exclusive, story. exclusive. The first time, yeah, I met OJ Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I did. We were going around her house. I had, I, I had dinner. I with, dropped him off. No, seriously, I, I had dinner with OJ one night. Whoa. Um It was it was the surrealest thing in my life. What what? And so they said party OJ. So I'm in my, I, we're in Miami working on an album, <coughs> and not many people know. Well, I don't know if you know. You probably don't even know who Scott Storch is. Scott Storch is a former Roots member, and he might be connected uh, with some friends of ours. No way, hey yo, whatever. Anyway, Did you get that reference on these, these same friends of ours are also Got connected it. to OJ. Yeah. You know, oh. they go golfing with them and everything. So I guess the story is that one of their wives was having a, a a birthday dinner, and Scott just ever so casually mentioned, like, "Hey, you know, let's let's." We were in the studio. I was like, "Yeah, let's go on a dinner break." So, um, we <laughs> took Scott Storch dinner break, a three hour dinner break, and it was like. Oh, by the way, uh, OJ is going to be here too. Dun, dun, dun. 
And so um, think of like the the Last Supper. Oh my God! It's it's like a Last Supper scenario, or 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 very Godfathers. Sure. Whatever, like <laughs> just a circle of just think of that whole Martin Scorsese thing where he's like all the characters yeah. and everything and Johnny two times and you know that yeah. sort of thing. Gotta get the papers, get two the times. papers. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> and so surprisingly, there's like a, the small children's table. I don't know if you have this Thanksgiving thing yeah. where it's like the big family yeah, yeah. there and then Not the Thanksgiving, small children. but yeah. Kids right. table. So on the side of so on the side <laughs> so on the smart Thanksgiving's a different story for us. But, yeah, go on. <laughs> but the, the the side table situation, there's like an additional nine people, and it's like me, Buster Rhymes, Scott Storch, Dog. and OJ Simpson. Oh and, my um, god. You know, in the beginning it was it was slightly awkward. I tried to act as normal as I could, and he's like, Yeah, and you know, I used to have one of those. He's pointing at my afro and stuff. Right. And then I, I know. Okay. What was the conversation? <laughs> let's go. Let's you go. Used to let, have a lot of things. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> An ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> let's go. Four bottles of wine in. Oh. And oh, no. then, like, I don't want to be around drunk. Ocean. The juice. No, you don't. And then, um, you four get... bottles. Four bottles of wine in. He says to uh, to Buster, me and Scott. He's like, you know, you know, Hurricane Carter. Um. You know, all the singers, Bob Dylan and them, they, they, you know, they fought for Hurricane Carter's oh, innocence. No. And, you know, I need uh-uh. the rappers uh-uh. to fight for me, <laughs> make a song about me. <laughs> and we're all looking at each other. <laughs> but here's, here's the funny <laughs> thing. What Jay-Z made a song about him. That is yeah, right. He did get a song about him. <laughs> yeah, it was like that. So, and then by bottle number six. I would have left after bottle number two. <laughs> there was no, Dart. you wouldn't have. There was there was a point where he started talking about Dart and Marsha Clark and stuff, and then like me and Scott's brother were like having that uh, uh, that trading places uh, bathroom stall, feet raised up in the air so no one could see us <laughs> in the bottom thing. <laughs> and it was like, yo, are we allowed to be talking to OJ about this sort of thing or not? Like we were like. We didn't know what we were. Yeah. It was the weirdest three hours of my life. Yeah. And so, yeah, we. That is a great fucking story. Yeah. <laughs> that, but, is, that is a hard social situation to navigate. And I find every social situation hard to navigate. <laughs> but you introduce four bottle OJ into that, especially yeah. saying, you got to just give me, just give me a song. He right. wants his Hurricane right. Carter song. He was talking about you and Buster. You, give, yeah. And you know what? And there are knives on the table, you, too. Yeah. <laughs> Years later, Jay Z gave him that song. And just yeah. not quite the song that he wanted. Okay. Oh, exactly. What happened to Second time you met OJ. <laughs> <laughs> just, that was it. I don't even want to talk. <laughs> strip club situation. Anyway. Oh, oh God. Oh, wait, no, we, we can't so, John Oliver, I thank you very much. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. No, no, no. You can't leave it like that. Thank you very much, John Oliver. Don't worry about it. Amir's not fun to the strip club. Don't worry about it. Boss Bill and uh, uh, Unbeat Bill yeah. and Sugar Steve. We are signing off Quest Club Supreme. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com.